All right, we've been going through First Timothy, and um, we're going to jump back in there today. Uh, we're still in chapter 1, but we're uh, down about verse 18. And um, we've been talking about what uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's doing this in the midst of, of all of his trials and tribulations and persecutions and various things that he is facing um, and, and doing so for for being a servant. These are the things that he is 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 constantly, you know, getting hit with. He's being put in jail, he's being beaten. And yet in the midst of all that, he's he's had the wherewithal to be able to put together thoughtful, Holy Spirit guided letters that he has sent back to many folks to further the gospel, further the church, um, and strengthen people and correct and encourage people in all different areas. And so this is one of those letters that he's writing to Timothy, because Timothy, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, is being, unfortunately, he's having this problem trying to lead a church, and there are a lot of false teachers that are just causing problems for him. And uh, so Paul is, is addressing some of these things. He's addressing some of the things that need to be dealt with within the church. And uh, so last week, you know, we, we talked a little bit about uh, from verse 12 down to um, down to 17. Uh, he, how he talked about how his his past, what a sinner uh, he was, and uh, he we, we discussed how the the scriptures uh, talked about him acting acting in ignorance and and unbelief and kind of what that meant. And so we've gotten down to verse 18, and at verse 18, he he issues a charge to Timothy again and kind of an official this is what I am I'm am, I am telling you to do in an official capacity so in verse 18 he says I charge this charge I entrust to you Timothy my child in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you that by them you may wage the good warfare holding faith and a good conscience so apparently and then we do see some references to this there there were folks who prophesied about Timothy and his leadership and what he would do within the church. And so Paul was referencing that prophecy to say that, you know, there were prophecies made about you. And, and here's what they said. And, and I'm telling you, because of this, we know it's true. And I'm telling you what you need to do these things. And I'm entrusting you to do them. And But he talks about waging good warfare, holding faith, and a good conscience. And I want to stop there for a second and try to talk about something because we talk about oftentimes, we, so many times, we talk about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit guiding us and moving us and influencing us and working with us. And Paul here is talking about, specifically says, the conscience. And, and I know that sometimes there's, there seems to be a bit of a blurry line between the, the, the conscience and the Holy Spirit's guidance um, because there's, there's, this, there's this thought in some circles that, well, you know, the Holy Spirit kind of is your conscience telling you what to do, leading you, guiding you. But, but how, does, how can you account then for the unsaved who are still doing good works? who are still making right decisions, who are still feeling guilty, who still look at crimes and, and, um, and afflictions of others and feel bad. And I mean, how many unsaved people are actively involved in charities and wanting to help and are doing all sorts of things because their conscience leads them in that direction? 
And so Paul makes a reference here to Timothy that what you are going to do, you need to be doing, waging war, but a holding faith and a good conscience. Does anybody have any thoughts about what what he's really telling Timothy there? And and because we know the Holy Spirit dwells in Timothy, we know that he's that he's saved by reading what we read. And why doesn't he say holding faith and guided by the Holy Spirit? What's what's the delineation there? Can we make one? Because I found it interesting when I read it, and uh, it gave me it gave me a little bit of, a little bit of pause. Because I I did the things I just asked you were things I started asking myself. I would think your own conscience would be more flesh, and your Obviously, the Holy Spirit would be spirit, you know, or that and all that. Yeah, and, and I, I would agree with that. Paul said his good conscience. Yeah. He would be asking Timothy, Timothy to rely on his flesh, but, but to rely on the spirit. Uh, that, that was the first thing that came across my mind. I'm not saying no, I think that's No, I think that's a good observation. I was kind of, I, that's where I was going with it, but I, I don't think it's correct. I mean, no, I don't, I don't know, and I'm not saying anything's correct or incorrect. I'm looking for looking for thoughts on this. Um, because, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll take what you just said and maybe expand upon it. A saved individual who has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit cannot go against their conscience. I mean, yeah. the, the, your, your, the conscience of an unsaved individual versus the conscience of a saved individual should be two totally different camps. Right. Because one thing you may be doing because you have this, because we always ask the questions. You know, when, when people start to, to try to tear apart the Christian faith, one of the things you'll see um, apolog apologists do is start to talk about, well, what about, and they'll go, go to some extreme, what about the murder of babies? Is that always wrong? And, you know, generally, oh, yes, absolutely, it's wrong. How do you know it's wrong? Where does that come from? Well, that's our conscience. Well, okay, if that's our conscience, where did you get your conscience, right? So there's always this discussion of that of, of the conscience coming from, from God, yet the, the conscience of a saved individual, I would argue, is one that would be guided by the Holy Spirit, not just some internal understanding of right and wrong. It would be a conscience that truly has a compass, that truly is saying, well, I know the difference between right and wrong, but I have a calling. And, and in order for my conscience to, to be at rest and at peace, I have to follow the direction of my calling. It's not just good, bad, making decisions. It's am I going in the direction that God has led me? And you know, I'm, I'm not just making sandwiches for the poor. I'm I'm going in a direction that God has actually pulled me in. Being His hands and feet. Being His hands and feet. And so, if we if we take that as 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 a part of the explanation here, <laughs> Paul saying, "All right, holding the faith by holding the faith and having a good conscience. If your conscience is at rest, then you're going in the direction that God has called you." And so those are the two elements that Paul emphasizes to Timothy to say that you need to do this. And let's look at the second part of verse 19. He says, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. That's, a, that's an interesting uh, line, isn't it? I mean, when you think about have made shipwreck of their faith, it's just destruction. That's, that's catastrophic. It's catastrophic. <laughs> yeah, it's catastrophic. So, so and, and he's... 
So to have faith and to not follow the compass and to not obey where God has you called, you wind up in an internal turmoil that you just can't get out of. And it'll, I know, I feel the same way. <laughs> but it will absolutely, it can absolutely tear up the Christian. And it can take you and cause you to question faith. It can cause you to find ins and outs. And that internal war that you're just not supposed to have. You're supposed to have warfare with Satan. You're supposed to have warfare with the things of the world. When you start having warfare internally, you make a shipwreck out of your faith because you're not following the compass that God, well, let's actually take that a step further. If your compass is broken, you're going to wreck your ship. I never thought of that. That's good. I can doubt it by myself. You're going to go without direction. That's right. And you end up isolating alone on an island. Yeah, and chances are you're not going to have Thurston Howell with you. <laughs> I was thinking the same. Were you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he Skipper. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> His mind did no good there. No, it didn't. And why in the world did he bring a woman on a three-hour tour? No idea. <sighs> so he goes on to, to tell him that don't make a shipwreck of your faith. And then he starts to he goes on to mention in verse twenty, among whom are. Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Strong language. Handed over to Satan. How are we? To, how are we to interpret that? It says, "Is a typical way of referring to excommunication or being put out of the church." Yeah. He's so he's he's saying these two people. I've kicked them out of church. They, they are no longer in amongst fellowship with other Christians. And by doing so, we have turned them out into the world to say, here you go. Now, let's not lose sight of something, though. The New Testament makes it very clear that church discipline has, it has a, an ultimate goal. And the ultimate goal is restoration. The ultimate goal is to try and, and get whoever the individual is back into fellowship and back into a proper standing with Christ. And it's a, it, it, so it has a purpose in its, in its doing. It sounds, sounds harsh, but if you see what he says, I have handed them over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So we don't know specifically what they did. But we can say that the goal of what he has done is to teach them that what you did is not acceptable. And, and, but more than that, if he has followed the church discipline that's outlined in the New Testament, we know he went through multiple steps before he got here. We know that there was a lot of discussion. We know that there were multiple members. We know that, that the process was followed, and they just refused to change. And so the last step was, this is what we this is what we have to do. You don't you don't see that practice very much today. Um, it's a it, it's it, it seems to at times fly in the face of our of our way of looking at things today. You know, it's um, I think we we can get into a and I'm not saying we should be running around throwing people at church, um, but what I am saying is that I I think sometimes our 
the way we handle things in society today, this desire not to make anybody mad, this desire not to upset anyone, we would, we would tend to shy away from things like church discipline because it, it goes in the opposite direction. We're, we have to be confrontational for that. And, and confrontation is not something any of us really enjoy. Okay, well, Scott, you're an exception to most rules. So <laughs> this one shouldn't be any different. <laughs> Like Tink was saying last week about peacekeeper versus peacemaker. That was Wednesday. Was it Wednesday? That was probably Wednesday. I think that was Sunday. But talking about being, you know, a peacemaker. You know, somebody who comes in and comes up with a way that everybody can feel, you know, good about the situation versus just just avoiding. You know, being the, the peacekeeper, you know, whatever you can do to avoid confrontation and walking away from it. Yeah, we, we don't tend to we don't tend to, to make a lot of progress appeasing. You know, it's it, it, it that's not the that's not the path that tends to work best. Right. Mine mine it Bible for those three verses had something and I think it goes a little bit and kind of maybe saying versus doing, you know, because you can say different things, but it says Paul commanded Timothy to fight the battle well. In one sense this continued his earlier thoughts about upholding God's truth against false teachers, yet the real battle is not just in the realm of sound teaching. It includes acting in obedience to God and in keeping with his plan for our lives. Paul told Timothy to hold on to faith and good conscience. He was to live in ways that showed God's power. Our beliefs are important, but we must go beyond just thinking the right things to doing the right things. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a broad brush approach, or a broad brush statement, I should say. Yeah. You know, when it applies to individual life, it applies to individual ministry, and it applies to corporate worship and faith within the church. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. And, you know, I, I assume that these two folks here, Timothy, must be aware of um, because Paul's referencing them and using them as an example. And perhaps they were false teachers. Perhaps they were were teaching something that was, was contrary to, to what uh, what Paul had taught and they just refused to you know to see the, the light when in discussions. And he had no choice but to but to turn them out. But but either either way you go at it, it's there's a uh, Brad to go along with your statement, I read I read somewhere in one of the commentaries uh, a reference to this verse was that uh, there was a preacher that uh, folks talked about and said he preaches so well we wish he would never leave the pulpit and then the person right next says yeah but he's such a terrible Christian he really should never be behind it <laughs> so there's there's this do I understand the doctrines do I know what's right do I know what I'm supposed to do that's wonderful. Can I teach? Can I preach? Absolutely, that's wonderful. What's your life look like? Knowing and doing are two different Knowing and doing are two different things. Yeah. Those men are brought up again in Second Timothy. They are. Talking about um, 
their profane babblings and babbling in vain. Mm -hmm. And that they said the resurrection has already passed. That's right. Kind of overthrew the whole gospel message. What they said, so. Yeah, so that does go along with false teaching and and, uh, and, and stays stays in theme with what Paul is addressing to Timothy. Yeah, that's right. I, I hadn't actually thought about that, but you're right. They are in 2 Timothy as well. And uh, there's a... Um, I, actually, I remember reading that that uh, was Hymenaeus is a pretty unique name, and so we can pretty well be assured it's the same one in Second Timothy. But they said there's that Alexander was such a common name. We can't be sure it's the same Alexander in Second Timothy, and I'm like, why can't we? <laughs> Uh, you know, Paul's writing the same uh, to the same guy, uh, but, you know, especially if he's still paired with Hymenaeus. Yeah, so there's that's right. The, the thieves stick together. The, uh, the criminals stick together. But no, uh, thanks for mentioning that, Crystal. Anything else on that before we uh, uh, move move on into chapter two? So um, I had a couple things. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, so when you were talking about, um, okay, well, when Steve started to say something, I was, I was just going to say um, <clears throat> that sometimes Christians have difficulty with the, the balance or the line between, yes, having discipline being disciplined and grace, you know, the message of yeah. grace versus holding people to a certain standard. And, you know, I mean, yes, whether it's your kids or other people, or it is, it is difficult. It's like, when do you, when do you show grace? And when do you say, no, this is not acceptable? Yeah. And, yeah. And I'm not, you know, it, it, I, it's, it's probably a case by case basis. Isn't <laughs> yeah. It? yeah. Because, you know, if, if we go back and look at the, the first part of what we uh, discussed here uh, last week, we were really talking about, it was God's grace that allowed Paul to continue the way that he did until he was saved. And so it's, it becomes difficult to know, well, do we continue to, to give this person great grace and, and keep letting things go and we need to try to work through it and wait for God to deal with them? Or do we take a step further and, and do something else? Yeah. Yeah, I, and I don't. I, that's that's one of those things I would never have a steadfast answer about. And then when you were talking about um, the conscience of the like believer versus unbeliever or or whatever, um, I know that. So one of the things that we talked about this past Wednesday was the guy um, doing the videos used the phrase "wallpapering your mind" with the things of God. Yeah. And yes, yeah, so I think that yes, as a Christian. If we are, I always say, feeding on um, the things that that we should that help build us up spiritually. You are what you eat. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then, then those are the kind of things that are going to affect your conscience. Like the battle's always in the mind. Like you can't, you may not be able to control a thought that comes in, but you can deal with it right away, depending on you know what else is in there. Um, but I know that my daughter is involved. Um, she works for a homeless shelter in Leavenworth, Kansas. And it's interesting because some of the people that work there and volunteer there are there because they have the heart for that. 
you know, that's that's just her calling. Yes. But you know, she said, Man, it's it's hard because some some people want to volunteer, but they they only want to well, we just want to serve lunch. Or it's like, here, I cleaned out my house, and here's all the stuff I don't want, you know? I mean, it's like some... I, I feel like some people do it to uh, to assuage their conscience, to make themselves feel better. Yes, like it makes them yeah. feel good to actually feed the, you know. But it's hard to find people who will come, you know, they have to have somebody there around the clock. So at night, they have, <clears throat> they have shifts of people. So trying to find somebody who wants to come sit from one to five or one to four in the morning is hard you know it's like nobody wants to do that there's no glory in that there's no no <laughs> yeah. what, you, what you just said there Betsy made me think of, of the question of who are you who are you really serving mm-hmm. are you serving the Lord or are you serving yourself mm-hmm. you know are you doing this to make yourself feel good to puff yourself up or are you doing it because you know that God has called you to this and, yeah. and you want to do it out of service to him yeah if you truly want to help you truly want to serve then you know then it's like what what can I do to best help you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, I talk about Tim Walter all the time, the Juana missionary, but then I've, I've said this before. But he said when he realized that he was definitely called into Christian service, he was a youth pastor, and he said his prayer was constantly, Lord, just show me where you want me to go, and I'll go there. And he said he had just prayed, Lord, show me where you want me to go, and I'll go there. And he said he literally said, but please don't call me to be a missionary. (laughs) And he said he was walking up the steps, and he said it was like he got smacked in the face with something. And he went, I'm being called to be a missionary. (laughs) He said it was just so clear. And he said, great. So he said from that point on when he would pray, one of the things he would start off with was, Lord, you know how dumb I am. Please help me. But I think, but that's, I said all that to say that I think that sometimes, you know, a Christian's conscience leads them to, you know, to, like you said, it's that compass. Where's your compass pointed? And I think sometimes a non-believers, they're just trying to, yeah, to soothe that, to make them, you know, feel better. Maybe they're conscious, they're being pricked, you know, whatever, by the Holy Spirit, what they're being convicted, you know, and so they're trying to do things, yeah. do good things, to make them feel like a better person. I can, I can share that. I was going to say, I was going to say that just because they're non-believers doesn't mean that God, I mean, God created them too and yeah. put that conscience in them. They're just not aware that that's where it's coming from. Yeah. You know, so... I was going to ask you what your original statement was about what's the difference between a non-believer's conscience and a Christian's. They just don't know that it's God, in my opinion. I mean, he put that there in their heart. Yeah, and I don't disagree with you at all. But I'll, but I'll say don't discount the influence of the Holy Spirit on the saved person. Say that again, because I think yeah, that's what you were saying yeah, yeah, earlier. Try, don't, don't ignore the fact that the saved person has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right. and that's right. going to affect 
what you know to be true and what you believe to be true. And so if that's the case, there should be a calling in your life, whatever that is, whether it's, you know, whether whether the, the, the calling is just to, to, to talk to people at work, to be to be a sounding board and, and to be able to encourage people. You know, there's all sorts of callings for the Christian. You don't have to be a preacher or you don't have to be a teacher. But once you understand what that calling is, then your 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 conscience gets satisfied by obeying the Holy Spirit. Whereas a non-believer, their conscience gets satisfied okay. by doing something by doing a good work. Okay. Right, yeah. right, right. And they don't I guess okay. they're not necessarily right. headed in the direction that God has called them. Right. I hear what, okay. Does that make sense? That's 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 my take on it anyway. You, you know, and, and like my brother always reminds me, my opinion's worth what he paid me for it. But yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the way I needed you to re-explain it. Again. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. If I ever, if I'm ever not clear, just, just you know, you give your brother a lot of opinions or something. <laughs> you know, I used to. <laughs> and once I realized how much they were valued, I started backing off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they usually didn't lead to anything. They were, they were nice discussions until they weren't discussions anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, <laughs> any other questions or comments there? As far as God giving even non-believers conscience, I read a book uh, by a guy. He, he studied um, why it, he started out studying why it was during um, the Revolutionary War all the way up to Vietnam, all the way up to Vietnam. They found that soldiers had an incredible resistance to killing. How many, how many bullets were expended in a, in a given battle versus how many casualties were inflicted? And he found that you know only about 10 to 12 percent of soldiers actually had it within them to actually shoot at, uh, at a human being. Oh, really? And um, what he came down to was, and he was a believer, you know, what he came down to was, he said, God puts it in every mm -hmm. person to have a major resistance against taking life. Yeah. Now, where he, where he switched it is, he said, you know, in today's world, he said it's completely changed because we have all of these things, all these games and TV shows and everything else, and it's taken, for a lot of people, it's taken that natural resistance away to commit murder. So, he, yeah, they've become comfortable with with a thought that they should never become comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. we have devalued human life. Yeah, yeah. He, he put abortion in there as well. Absolutely, as a, a major reason why we devalue human life to that to that effect, you know, to that level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's, that's interesting. I didn't. I never heard that. Before. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about happy. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Uh, we got a few minutes left here. Let's move into a little bit of a little bit of chapter two. Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 2, he says, First of all, then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So what are we supposed to do with that? He's, I mean, I know he's given this to Timothy, but he's also given it to us. It's, I mean, this is, you talk about a broad brush stroke, 
right? <laughs> we we so and he, and he he doesn't just say you need to pray for somebody. Um, he's using all these different terms to to say that there are, are different kinds of prayers, that there are different approaches. But but he's also saying that we need to do it for everybody. It's a it's a wide open thing. It says for kings and all who are in high positions, you know, regardless of, of if we agree or disagree with the current government, no matter what side of the fence we're on, Bible calls us to pray for our for our leaders. <clears throat> Bible calls us to 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 constantly be in prayer for those who are in uh, in our governments and who are in charge. Um, but but you know what? That doesn't stop there. It. I, I, it's not hard for us to discuss what well, we need to pray for our president, we need to pray for our, our leaders and all that. Anybody ever, uh, ever think about this in terms of your work? Do you, do you pray for your bosses? Do you pray for those who run your company? Do you, do you pray for those in church leadership? Um, you know, do you, do you pray for those in family? Do you pray for those that you absolutely can't stand? Hmm. And when Paul says that I, I urge you to do this, for all people, um, we'll go back to go back to, to Tim Welcher again. He he used to always say, "All means all." It's all all means, right? <clears throat> and and so when you when you apply the word all, he's saying that that everyone should be prayed for. And boy, is that hard? Because there's times my heart just isn't there, and 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 it should be. And we have to search ourselves and say. How much of this is, how much of what I'm feeling is earthly emotion? How much of what I'm feeling is pride? Because boy, does that well up at times when you least expect it. And there's been times when I have completely just, you know, lost it with somebody in a discussion and went, and I didn't walk away. And that night sit and ponder it and go, all right. Uh, maybe what they said was wrong or maybe what they said was irritating or whatever the, the whatever I want to adjective I want to apply to it but it was my pride that caused me to act that way it was my pride that flared up be not not because not because that that I was saying anything wrong but because they refused to see what I was seeing and my pride got in the way because I couldn't convince them of what I was saying <laughs> Did you apologize? I have found myself apologizing to many people. Yes, and, and she is one of them. Yes, <laughs> that is correct. Yeah, you, you, you try to you try to decode my encoded messages over there, are you? Yeah. <laughs> but he says that. Uh, um, Again, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So what are we, what kind of life are we called to lead? And and how do we get there? There's a there's a certain there's a certain something that comes from this prayer and from positioning ourselves mentally and spiritually thinking about others and lifting them up in prayer that helps us come to a peaceful and quiet life and live a godly life and being dignified. And these are the ways, these are ways that we are called to live as Christians. 
And so there's a lot to be said for a well-developed prayer life. A well-developed prayer life pushing us in the direction that we are called to be in. Um, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of our God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we know that God's desire, we can't interpret this that everyone will be saved, but certainly it is God's desire that all people will be saved and that all people will come to know Christ. Verse 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I am telling you the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. There's a lot to unpack there, so I'm going to come back to that next week, and uh, I want to just come back and talk about um, this statement that there is one mediator between God and men, and uh, let's, I'm not here to, to bash other, other religions or other uh, denominations, but I do want to talk about what that what that statement should mean to us and um, also let's talk about ransom what does ransom really mean and then um, verse 7 we'll touch on the fact that uh, uh, he's, he's again going back to referring to false teachers so we'll wrap that up before we move into some of those uh, <coughs> other verses that we didn't get to that I mentioned last week about certain people being quiet and all that so <laughs> Uh, any final comments? I just stunned you all into silence. Huh? <laughs> I have one. Um, yes. There's this uh, thing that I have heard recently that I've been thinking about, and it says, There is no good apart from the Lord, which seems to mean, now that I've thought about it a little bit, that a a non-believer with a good conscience that goodness isn't true goodness there's some kind mm -hmm. of right. selfish motive there that we don't necessarily understand but that's why it's important to teach people not to just be rule followers exactly following their good conscience because that only gets you so far you know you have to have that that part for Christ instead of I just want to do good so I don't get in trouble or yeah. I just want to do good so other people think I look good or something like that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great observation. I, and I love how you tied that back to that is, you know, when when, uh, when the, the the woman came up to Jesus and said, good teacher, and he turned around and says, why do you call me good? There is no one good but God. And uh, it's it's a lesson for us that if, it, if, if it's not tied to God and if it's not in the then it's not good. It's not good. We fall to our government filthy rags. Right. You know, I mean, it's like, I, I totally agree with that, Mary. I mean, there's nothing, you know, I may feel like to my own horror. Like, hey, look what good I did. But you know what? Any good that I did, it comes from God. It comes from the Spirit. And He 
he gets <clears throat> glory, not me. As you said, Mary, it, it, if there is good for me, it's probably not a good good. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's a, a selfish good. You know, I get a little wrapped up in, I want my kids to be good or well behaved, yes. but that is not always an indicator that the heart is in the right place. And that's a difficult thing as a parent. You can you can be taught to behave well, but to be taught to behave godly are two totally different things. They might look the same on the surface, but they're not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's but sometimes one has to follow the other. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for the discussion this morning, everybody. I appreciate it. Appreciate y'all coming out. And uh, we'll pick up there next week and see where everything takes us. So let's go ahead and close. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. And Lord, just thank you for the discussions we continue to have in this class. And, I, and I'm grateful for how beneficial they are. Um, Lord, I'm just grateful that you've preserved your word for us so that we can sit here this morning and just, and just discuss it and study it and draw closer to you, Lord, and understand more about you and what you have called us to do as Christians. Lord, be with us as we depart from this room and enter into the sanctuary. Lord, help us to hear the message that uh, Brother Tink has for us and the message of music. And Lord, we just pray that it will influence us in ways that will lead us closer to you and help us to develop relationships with you, Lord. Thank you so much again for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.